The Colorado Avalanche take a commanding 2-0 series lead in the Western Conference Finals. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks and all things Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who of course also covers the team at the Athletic Canucks Hour, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. And, uh, Drancer, we've got some uh, some very interesting Canuck stuff to talk about. Thanks to our, our boy out east, our teammate, Elliot Friedman, just throwing some red meat to the base, the lion's den that is the Vancouver uh, hockey market. And big was shout it, out to Elliot Friedman for that. Was it Friedman or was it Merrick? Who who are our thanks rightly? I owed? mean, I think both of them, but we'll, we'll play the clip in a little bit here. I, I think more thanks go to, they know uh, what to sizzles. Elliot Friedman. They oh, know what yeah. sizzles. Old pros, good dudes. They know what sizzles. Oh, yeah. And you know what sizzles, Jamie? Canucks trade speculation? Errant trade speculation <laughs> on, a, on a fall day in June it is in peak, Vancouver, is, British Columbia. This is peak June 3rd discussion in a hockey-crazed market that did not make the playoffs, right? Like, it's been totally. it's been a while since the season ended, yep. but it's still a while before the draft. We're all watching the games, but, you know, we, we want a little bit more. All of your summer plans for yeah. this weekend, anyway, are scuttered. That's you right. know what I mean? You need something to get you through a rainy... June day. It's going to be a rainy June weekend. I know. It's a bummer. It, but, but on the other hand, hopefully it means we have a greener August. Yes. That would be nice. I've become that guy. I've become the, I've become the. oh, I'm really grateful for the rain guy. That's me now. That was me all May. Uh, it was like, <laughs> come on, no forest fires. Anyways, uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll get to that uh the Canucks conversation and the tidbit from Elliot Friedman that we teased there. But I do want to start with what we saw on the ice last night, Drancer, which was the Avs. You know, I don't know if dominate is quite the right word because it was close until this brief stretch in the second period. But I also do feel like they were in pretty much complete control of that game for the majority of it. They end up winning 4 nothing. Uh, they take a very very daunting 2 nothing series lead against the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, the Avs steamrolled them last night and not no no big surprise. Uh, for me, I thought only Calgary was going to be able to give the Avs a real a real scare in the West. Once Calgary went out, I, I didn't have a lot of qualms picking Colorado to make relatively quick work of the Oilers. I have them in 5. Uh, we'll see what the series brings when when it moves back to Edmonton because you know, one thing that's been notable is the impact of that Taves McCarr pair mm-hmm. on McCarr, or sorry, on McDavid in general, right? We're up, we're up to what twenty four minutes, something like that, head to head ice time between that pair and McDavid, and the Oilers have one goal in those twenty four minutes. Uh, I'd assume that Woodcroft will find a way to get McDavid some shifts against Manson and Byram and the other guys. Mm-hmm. But if that holds up, right? If in McDavid's minutes head to head against the Avs matchup pair for him, so 70% of his 5-on-5 ice time, if it's not productive, if he, if the Oilers aren't scoring goals in those minutes, this is going to be a quick series. I mean, period. Like, you know, not that it's McDavid letting the Oilers down. I thought three of those shots that got by Mike Smith were stoppable last night. Um, I agree with you. I don't think the Oilers played particularly badly, all told. I actually think they were worse in Game 1, considerably. But... If McDavid's not going, 
this team doesn't have enough for a plan B or a plan C, period. They just don't. And so that's going to have to flip. Like McDavid lighting the avalanche on fire needs to be a storyline coming out of Game 3 and 4 in Edmonton. And if it's not, then this series is going to be over early next week. And really the story of this series so far, to me, and it's not it's not a one-on-one matchup. We know that. Look, there's there's five skaters out there for both teams when it's even strength. But it is Kale McCarr and specifically the Kale McCarr and Devon Taves pairing, shutting down more or less Connor McDavid. And the, the play that's getting a lot of the attention, and rightfully so, is like right off of the opening faceoff in the first minute, Kale McCarr defending Connor McDavid one-on-one, skating backwards with him, making a play with his stick. Doing it at all. Yeah. Doing it at all. And we don't see it much. No. And and I think that's going to be, you know, there's sometimes where specific plays get too much hype and they come to kind of represent everything that happened in a series kind of incorrectly and we lose the the force for the trees a little bit. But I do think... You know, not that you just put all of your your emphasis and your analysis on kind of moments like that, but it is kind of telling. Like, that is what's happening here, is that Kale McCarr is showing right now, at least, that he's up to the task of slowing down Connor McDavid enough to give Colorado an extreme advantage in this series. And What's, I, I what's think, funny about that play, though, is it is impressive. Don't yeah. get me wrong, because 99.99% of defensemen, even in the NHL level, look silly on that play, and McCarr keeps up. But if you watch it, right, the gap's good, but McDavid's in good position. That's like a, in, in any other situation, you'd say that's like a, a good like play to recover almost. Like he's white knuckling it, but we'd never see anyone even do that against Connor McDavid. You know, yeah. it's one of those exceptions that proves the rule. It's like you don't see it much, and, McK- and Kale McCard deserves a ton of praise for it. But I'm just, we don't see it much, but it's the exception that proves the rule because even in that situation, like McDavid loses the engagement, but but it's by the skin of Makar's teeth. It's incre- uh, He's such an incredible player. This isn't going to be on him when when the Oilers fall short by any means, and anyone saying it is 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 going to be off their rocker. This is a historic playoff, no matter how games three and four and five turn out. But I just don't know. I just don't know that he's going to find a team better built to defend him in particular than what he's found in Colorado. I, I really don't think he is because of Kale McCarr. He's the best skating Maybe defenseman Tampa. in the NHL. I think NHL. Tampa would have been able to do it too. Yeah, Tampa's, Tampa can do it, but they're not perfectly built in the same way, all right, with no. the, having the speed up and down the roster that Colorado has. And, you know, to your point about not blaming Connor McDavid, it's not as if he is getting blown out in his minutes, right? No. It's just a draw. And and it, we're so <laughs> we're so unfamiliar with Connor McDavid being held to a draw in his matchups. But what's happening is that you know Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and company are basically breaking even with Connor McDavid, and then the rest of Colorado is you know head and shoulders right now above the rest of Edmonton, and that's why the series is at two nothing. But it's not as if Connor McDavid is you know getting perforated out there when he's on the ice. It's just it's it's a break even point and. That's that's not how Edmonton's going to win games if Connor McDavid's breaking even with his matchups. Do you go to eleven seven? Do you go to eleven seven and just like have four pairs of wingers that McDavid yeah, can that jump up and down and complement so that they, you don't really know? I, I mean, I honestly think you go home so you'll have a little bit of an edge, but I wonder if you consider just like completely disguising your lines. I, I, at this point, I think you might have to like you need to find at least a little bit of soft underbelly once you get home for McDavid to you know poke and prod at. 
and Makar and Taves are not that soft underbelly. That's the no, that's no. the armored front side of the tortoise. Right? And I, like, I will say, at forward, I think Colorado has two plausible configurations that you can you can feel at least all right putting out there against Connor McDavid. Like totally. we've seen it be Nathan McKinnon, but if you get Kadri and Lekkinen and and whoever else out there, yeah. okay, that's all right. You can live with that. Well, and I still think you could load up a checking line to just go straight like. Uh, straight stopper on McDavid with Kadri, Nachushkin, Lekkinen. Yep. And then you'd have a Ranton and Landeskog McKinnon line. line. That's actually more common for from the, for the Avs in the regular season. Well, they, and o- over their tenure together, they've had some incredibly productive right. seasons, seasons as a So, trio. I mean, I, 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 the Avs have so many options, which is but the, thing the is, advantage think, of being the Avs. I think they have those options at forward, but not necessarily on defense. No, they don't. You know what I mean? Especially so without if, Gerard. If you can get... Yeah, exactly. Without Sam Gerard in the lineup. So if you can get him away, that's who you really have to target, is getting him away from the Makar devon Taves pairing. And yeah, as you said, in Edmonton, uh, they should have at least a little bit better of a chance to do that, to try to get back in this series. All right. Um, uh, r- r- one last thing, really quickly. Go ahead. Devon Taves for two second-round picks. Andre Burakovsky, Andre, Andre Burakovsky for a second and a third round pick. Just bringing this up for anyone who's ever reacted to a trade involving a third or second round pick going out the door, being like, "Only a five percent chance that guy makes it to the NHL." Trade with contending teams that have cap issues and cash in hand can make you better really fast. You don't have to. You don't have to wait, and and you don't have to treat draft picks like a lottery ticket. You can tr- treat them like money. And go buy really good players. That's the purpose of accumulating assets. Just a reminder, you're seeing it in real time from the Colorado Avalanche. Speaking of draft picks, of course, uh, we're just about a month away from the NHL enter draft. A little bit more than that in early July in Montreal. But it is the NHL draft combine happening right now. Not quite the the made-for-TV event extravaganza that the NFL draft combine is. But still kind of an interesting date on the NHL calendar. Jeff Merrick, of course. Very, of, very kind of. Yes. <laughs> like, the, my favorite is, um, it's, it's not the athletic testing that's interesting, but it's always just like the leaked questions that get out that are that always make me laugh. Like, do you see the one that's going around? People are asking the prospects what kind of animal they play like. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? And it's like, okay, sure. I guess. I, I don't got, know. A guppy, because I have a short memory. What would be your answer? What kind of animal do you well, broadcast like, oh, Jamie? Oh, boy. I don't even want to get into that. But, I mean, <laughs> if I was a player, right, you're you're just in your head trying to think, okay, what do they want to, to hear from me? So you're probably like, I play like a bull or whatever, right? right. Like, that, that's what you're I play like with. a poodle. <laughs> <laughs> I get along with my teammates and I love belly rubs. Yes, exactly. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, I mean, I don't know. I There's no way I could keep a straight face if I was asked that question. I'd immediately just, like... I'd have to. I just imagine it's like my personality. I'd have to say know, something outrageous. Your your scouts are really high on this guy. The analytics love him. You know, you're getting rave reviews from his coaches in the OHL, and then he gives the wrong animal answer. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> he's on the undraftable list. Sorry, <laughs> put a Milo on him. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna be taking that guy. <laughs> he said he plays like a sloth. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyways, getting back on track here. Uh, That's ridiculous. I, look, the thing about interviews right i know that there's been some efforts by some teams and some talent evaluators to try and standardize like like do testing do character testing you know those testing that those testings that put you in various quadrants yep like at least have something firm to analyze players off of cuz one thing you bump into is general managers favor guys with like personalities right it's not just 
you, you see it all the time with coaches, like, oh, that coach loves that guy because that player played like he did. You know, like you hear that all the time. Well, it's the same thing with personalities and talent evaluators. Like some general managers will be like only drafting guys who are outgoing. Right. Because they're outgoing. Yeah. And lots of people in hockey are outgoing. But that can cause you to categorically underrate guys who are maybe a little bit more withdrawn. And sometimes that has zero impact on how you are as a hockey player. Best player in the world is Connor McDavid. He's a little bit withdrawn. Jared McCann, 30 goal scorer. He's a little bit withdrawn. I mean, there's all sorts of guys whose personalities aren't, you know, ebullient, to, to use a ridiculous word, uh, effervescent, whatever you want to say. There's a lot of people that aren't comfortable socially all the time, but they're still incredible hockey players. It literally has zero impact, zero bearing on who you are as a hockey player. So there have been some efforts to standardize, impose the one, wonderlick, impose other sort of types of uh, testing so that at least you have something firm to grasp onto, something comparative uh, across players. But, you know, in, in general, this is... Um, an area, much like player development, where we're still kind of flying by the seat of our pants. It it strikes me as the kind of thing that if a team or an industry even kind of figures out how to crack the code, that it could have a lot of value. Like, in theory, sitting down and getting this face-to-face time with people that you might be investing an awful lot of resources in, it's a really good thing. But the way it's done and the way it's traditionally been done... I don't want to say it hurts more than anything, but it definitely poses a lot of hazards. There's a lot of landmines you can step on if you're not going in with the kind of right process. And I'm not sure anybody does have the right process right now. Like, it has a lot of potential to do damage in addition to For just sure. giving you information. Although one of my favorites is, I think the, there's a competitiveness test score. I don't know if it's the Wonderlick specifically, but there's a type of test that effectively grades, like, uh, emotional competitiveness uh, and intelligent competitiveness. And the highest score in the history of the Combine's uh, Tom Wilson. And I love that. Not bad. That's like one of my favorite little weird combine nuggets. So sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't. I yeah. think how you deploy the information can be iffy. Um, and certainly certainly there are teams trying to figure it out. But I don't think it's an easy thing. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of the homework that you do on a guy's character isn't necessarily what you're going to see in a job interview anyway. We've all interviewed people. We all know how people present. In jo- like, put it this way for our listeners listening. Have you ever really been yourself in a job interview? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, have you ever at all reflected who you are or have you lied through your teeth? Not, not materially lied, but just presented yourself as the absolute best. You're presenting a very specific version of yourself. Your LinkedIn version, the LinkedIn version of yourself. As opposed to the Twitter version or Facebook version Or Instagram version, right? I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Anyways, the Twitter version of yourself. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. No one wants to meet that guy. No one wants to do that. Uh, Jeff Merrick, of course, of uh, Hockey Night in Canada, the Jeff Merrick Show here on 650 and uh, the 32 Thoughts podcast. He's at the Combine as well, getting some FaceTime with these prospects. And uh, him and Elliot Friedman were speaking about that on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. And a very, very interesting, well, maybe, potentially very interesting uh, Canucks nugget came up in the course of their discussion. Here's Merrick and Friedman. And an interesting note, too, we asked Slavkovsky about, because he's a winger, uh, but we asked about playing center as well. And he has played center before in his life. And he said that uh, a few teams asked him if he would be able to play center at this point or play center in the NHL. Mm. He was trying to remember, and the two teams he gave us were New Jersey and Vancouver, Mm. who who, he was trying to remember which teams asked him if he could play center as well. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I could be making something out of absolutely nothing here. Mm-hmm. 
something out of absolutely nothing. But that's what podcasting and sports discussion is all about. You just said two teams asked Lukowski about playing center. Minimum two teams. Minimum. No, he said there were a few teams. The ones that he could remember. He believed it was New Jersey and Vancouver. Okay, here's my thing. Yeah. Where does New Jersey pick? Second. Where does Vancouver pick? 15, right after the Winnipeg Jets and before the Buffalo Sabres. Why would the Vancouver Canucks be asking Slokowski if he can play center? They're not getting him at 15. Unless they move up. Thinking emoji. <laughs> there it is. That is Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast today. And Friedman, mind exploding emoji, con- confirming all but confirming that the Canucks will be trading up uh, to second overall with the New Jersey Devils <laughs> in order to draft your Slavkovsky. And I should mention, play him at center as well. Drancer. Can you radio so, a guy on the radio? So, this so is the first. <laughs> so start uh, start you know drawing up your lineups featuring Slavkovsky. You know who's he gonna who who's he gonna fit with best? It, is it Pod Colson and Slavkovsky? Is it, you know, do you move Elias Pedersen to the wing uh, to make room for him? We can really start getting into all of those discussions. No, but that, look, uh, like Friedman's having some fun with it there on the uh, on the podcast, as you can tell. And as we know, Elliot Friedman has, uh, you know, a very, I'd say, I don't want to say volatile, but uh, an eventful relationship with the Canucks fan base and Canucks Twitter. But it's an interesting thing to note. And look, whenever something like this comes out, the most important thing to remember is that Teams are at the draft combine, and they are going to make the most of all the opportunities they have. And that includes doing due diligence on players, even if you don't think they're going to still be on the board when you make your pick. And the kind of classic example of this is you never know down the road when a player is going to become available, right? You never know when a player is going to become available. So why not take the chance right now to get some face time, learn a little bit about the player? Well, yeah, there's a relationship building aspect that teams are cognizant of, right? Uh, because of that factor. Um, it's a chance to sit down with a guy, see the white of his eyes, get to know him a little bit, get to know a little bit about what, what he's all about. I don't know that you'd ever rely on that, though, making a trade for a guy five years later. Like, I don't think it actually has impact, but that's certainly what it's people It's kind say. of like, well, we're here, we may as well do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why uh, not? So look, the prospect of the Canucks moving up, does it make sense? I mean, potentially. You know, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, where... You know, I've become convinced that the way to think about where the Canucks are at is as a end-of-window contender. Not not in terms of their team quality. Certainly not in terms of the enjoyment that their fans have had over the last five, <laughs> six years. But in terms of their cap positioning, right? You're, you're at a point where you've got this group of players poised to get more expensive. They're almost all forwards. And fitting them all in is going to be impossible. Frankly, frankly, impossible. You combine that with the overpriced blue line and the fact that that blue line's locked in forever and the fact that the team has traded consecutive first-round picks here, um, you know, hasn't selected in the first round since 2019, has been dealing with a significant pick deficit in multiple years, right? They didn't have a first or a third last year. They didn't have a second or a first the year before. Um, and you've got the type of atrophied prospect system sort of aging roster poised to get more expensive in the years ahead that we'd typically associate with a team that's gone all in. Yeah. That's, that's you know, pushed some chips that's into take, the middle. That's taken their shot on a long run or two. Right. right. Unfortunately, the Canucks took their shot at meaningful games in March, but that's neither here nor there, and, and people don't like when I when I bring up the very recent past because it's the very recent past. Let's move on. Now, in a situation like that, 
does it make sense to trade a premium asset, a premium win now asset to a team that enjoyed a little bit of lottery luck, like the New Jersey Devils, but that is poised with simply league average goaltending to be a real problem, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, for me, the New Jersey Devils group of skaters, isolated just to their skaters, top 10 in the league. I know that's a hot take. People will hear that and be like, what? But I don't know if you saw what Jack Hughes did this year. Yeah, Jack Hughes was phenomenal this season. He, guy, was, he was extraordinary. Guy is on the absolute verge of being a top five player in this league. Um, Nico Heischer is incredible. Jesper Bratt is a star level winger. I know people are not quite used to that either. They also have um, a, a lot of really good players coming. Siegenthaler's been a tremendous find for them on the defense. Um, Dougie Hamilton didn't have a great season, but he's still Dougie Hamilton, Damon Severson. I mean, uh, Graves was a good fit. Ryan Graves is my favorite guy, but he's a good fit for them. I mean, there's a lot to work with there on the blue line and up front. And a lot of that talent's going to be leveling up in the years ahead. Alexander Hotz, by the way, is the guy. He's maybe a year older than Klimovich. I believe so. Yeah. A year older than Klimovich, but like he was one of the best, he was probably the best scorer in the AHL this year at the age of 20 or 19. I mean, that guy's going to play next year, and he's going to be really good, and he's far from the only guy at that level, that, like, pushing to make it level. Um, the Devils are a problem. The Devils are going to be, like, I would not be stunned remotely if the Devils figure out their goaltending and have a better regular season record than the New York Rangers next year. It's going to take them getting, like, I want to predicate this on Devils must get a, a average goaltending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they can get average goaltending, I would bet them to have a better record than the than the New York Rangers next season. Yeah, I like it. It's a spicy I like it. one. It's a spicy one, but that's I'm just talking about my regard for them. I'm not saying it's going to their challenge is a net. So would they be motivated potentially to do a win now deal? Maybe. But I mean, all of the players that we we talk about the Canucks thinking about considering dealing are forwards, are wingers. Not saying that the New Jersey Devils don't like those guys. It's just that none of them wear a blocker and a glove and and pads in the game. And so, I don't know, like, are they really going to use the ability to add a Slavkovsky to that core group for the next six years, cost-controlled, to address not their biggest issue? Yeah. I've really struggled with that. New Jersey's really interesting because the the kind of word came out that they would be willing to trade their pick before they moved up, and it was almost like... Well, dang, we wanted to use this pick to add an impact player next year, but now it's almost too good for us to do that. Like we yeah. can't, we can't justify trading the second overall. It's a good problem. But it's a good problem to have. I guess the the question would be: Is there enough desperation from management there? But they feel like they have to do something to take that big step forward, and they think they can address their goaltending problem in another way, right? They think they can do it through free agency because they have cap space or another trade or whatever that they don't need to use, that they can kind of do both. They can use that second overall pick to add a a guy who moves the needle uh, and they can go solve their goaltending problem. And then if you do that, maybe you're really, maybe you're poised not just to kind of step up and make the playoffs, but actually do some damage uh, going into the playoffs next year as well. I just think if you can add Slavkovsky to Brat Hughes... Um, he sure, I mean, don't overthink it. There's no need to overthink it. It would be overthinking it. There's sure. no doubt about yeah. it. It There's would be overthinking it. Unless, unless you have, an, have a chance to get Miller and Demko. If I'm New Jersey, that would tempt me. 
Because I'd be like, okay, I'm a contender next year yeah, if I make that deal. You're trying I to go for the Stanley Cup. I yep. legitimately think I can, you know, I legitimately think I can win the Metro if I get if I add Demko and JT Miller to that team. But but short of that, I don't see the upside for them in dealing the second overall pick to Vancouver. Like I just I just don't see it for a winger. Like it doesn't make sense to me. And you start to kind of like the other way to okay, as you kind of you try to square the value on either side and make it make sense for both sides. The other factor normally would be all right JT Miller 15 overall for second overall and can the Canucks take some money that the Devils don't like back right but they don't really have any of that kind of classic bad money that they need to get off their books so you're not really able to to bump up the value there look it's uh it's an oh sorry the one other guy I'd do it for if I was New Jersey would obviously be Quinn well yeah just to reunite and and look whenever whenever there's talk of the, the Canucks and the uh, the Devils collaborating on a trade, like, people on both sides are like, Hughes, Hughes, Hughes! It's like, none of the Hughes brothers are changing hands. Okay, <laughs> I know. Right. These guys it's are incredible. Happening. Seriously. It's, it's you not don't, You don't trade. No one, like, I get it. I get why, you know, fans on both sides want to see the Hughes brothers reunited somewhere. It's right. not happening. You don't trade players like no, that. They're not going anywhere. Well, so. and, you, and, you know, you, the Canucks aren't going to do Demko Miller no. for two and Severson and Brat or something and whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I just put together a mega pass. I don't think that makes sense for either side. So anyway, the right the the Devils are gonna have to address their goaltending. Uh and I hope Ville Husso enjoys Newark. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else there is out there to address it, right? It's not like there's good options in net. Um so I just I, I just I really struggle to see how the Canucks put together a package that justifies Slavkovsky, you know, and or Wright, because there's a real Could chance that Wright. it's yeah. a real chance that Shane Wright um coming the other way. I just really struggle with it. I don't I don't understand how it would be done, and I suspect this is one of those um silly season things. But thinking face emoji. But hey, shout out to the silly season. Well, and thinking face emoji is my favorite way to caption a, a rumor <laughs> now. Thinking face yeah. emoji. And I think we got to lean into it. I think we should, like, m- talk about the 10 best, t- 10 biggest off-season situations yep. to watch. And we'll assign we'll, emoji we'll, we'll grades to them. emojis in. I like it. And let's give, let's give our like listeners it. a chance to to give us their version during yeah. the break. So 650, Hit. 650, Dunbar Lumber, text inbox. There you go. Nailed it. Um, text in your active Canucks off-season situation you're monitoring. With an accompanying emoji, we'll get into it on the second. Canucks off-season question and the the corresponding emoji that symbolizes that question. Uh, thanks to uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick for giving us some red meat to chew on here on June third in Vancouver with a little bit of a Canucks and New Der- New Jersey Devils rumor there. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five star rating and review as well. If you do enjoy the show, we will be back to do the Canucks off season emoji preview here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to the show. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Your home of the Canucks, home of all things Stanley Cup playoffs as well. Final segment of the week. Going into the weekend here, Drancer. I'm Jamie Dodd. That uh, You, you want to do it? You want to introduce yourself? I'm Thomas Drantz. Yeah! Canucks insider Thomas Drantz is my co-host. Of course, Drancer also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win. For years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. 
Uh, we asked you uh, before the break, 650-650. So we played the clip of Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman talking, and, and you know the, the tidbit that the Canucks had interviewed Yura Slikovsky, who, of course, projected to go worst, at worst, second overall to the New Jersey Devils. And Elliot Friedman captioned that with thinking face emoji is how he described it, the fact that the Canucks were talking to that prospect. So we asked you, uh, hit us up with... The other emojis that you would use to describe some of the various dilemmas and questions facing the Canucks this off season, uh, some some not entirely family friendly ones uh, <laughs> coming in. So I'll see if I can get to those. But Reg texted in six fifty six fifty. I'm just waiting to see if this new management group can do anything with this mess. And then he included the uh, poop emoji three times. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 bad yeah not bad at all but uh, I'll, I'll start off and just overall so before we get into the uh the, the nitty-gritty of some of the specific situations and and this is kind of a basic take on my part but i think if you're just looking for the one emoji to capture the canucks offseason overall what we're going to see from the team this summer, I, I do think it is the, you know, mind-blowing, head-exploding emoji, right? Because I I still am of the belief that, you know, trader Jim Rutherford has not forgotten that he likes to do deals, that he likes to be bold. He has talked at length about all of the things this club needs to accomplish. And I think that him and Patrick Alvin, they're not going to sit on their hands. They're not going to waste time. Uh, and we're going to see some moves that we might expect. Some moves that will surprise us, but overall, we're going to see significant turnover going into next season for the Vancouver Canucks transfer. All right, I'm going to volley that. I'm going to go with the raccoon emoji. All right. For for JT Miller, trader extend. Trader extend the raccoon emoji, and here's why. Have you seen everything everywhere all at once? I have not, actually. Oh, okay. So. I don't get out much. Fair enough. There's a, a raccoon plays a big role in the movie, in particular, a character named Rakakuni. Who's very much like Ratatouille, except misunderstood to be a raccoon. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so the J.T. Miller trade talks, or or, or decision. The decision on J.T. Miller, the reason we can't stop talking about it, the reason it's soaked up so much oxygen in this market, is it's everything, everywhere, all at once to this team. This club's future will be determined effectively by the decision made one way or another, on J.T. Miller. The, the size of the extension will be so massive that it commits the Canucks to a variety of things to win now in the event that they move forward with it. In the event that J.T. Miller is dealt, it completely changes what we expect from this team next season and probably in the years to come, right? More than any other decision that I can remember, the J.T. Miller deal represents a fork in the road for this franchise, a split into one of, you know, two wildly divergent potential realities, uh, you know, to the point where in one of them, perhaps a raccoon will live under a chef's hat and help him be a really good teppanyaki cook. So the rac- raccoon emoji in, in re- representing my friend Rakakuni from the movie <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once is the emoji that represents the J.T. Miller trade or extend decision facing the organization I like this it. summer. It is, I don't want to say the first domino to fall or whatever, because we could see other moves before that, but you're right, and it, it's the one that is kind of all-encompassing, that everything else has to make sense in context of that move, right? Like, if, if you are re-signing JT Miller, 
then it's still go time, frankly, for this team. You still have to find a way to maximize where you're going to be in the standings, you know, in the next two, three seasons when JT Miller is still potentially kind of in his statistical prime. If you make, if you bite the bullet and you decide to make the move to trade JT Miller, then it opens yourself up to a lot of different, you know, it's not even just kind of like two branching universes, right? It's like, okay, one is if we, if they sign JT Miller, if they trade him, there's a ton of different paths you can take off that, right? And that's kind of one of the arguments in favor of trading JT Miller is that it opens up all of this different flexibility and all these other things you can explore down the road uh, because you make that decision. So it's not even just kind of a, there's one path here and there's one path there. It's like, there's one path here and then there's a ton of different paths you can follow if you decide to trade JT Miller this summer at the draft in particular. 100%. You got another one or do you want yeah, me to... Yeah, no, no, I got another one Perfect. here. So, um... Another, you know, the, the kind of big three players that you expect a decision of some sort to be made on this summer. JT Miller, who you talked about. Brock Besser, who we'll get to. Uh, Bo Horvat is the other one, of course, who's going into his final year under contract. Uh, this is an easy one for me. It's the the money eyes emoji, right? The dollar signs yep. emoji. Because I think Bo Horvat is going to get paid in a big way. Uh, by this team in this offseason. And I'm not saying it's going to be a kind of prohibitively expensive deal based on how good a player Bo Horvat is. I think it still could be viewed as a team-friendly extension, but it's going to be long-term. It's going to be big money. It's going to be the kind of thing that sets him up to be a career Canuck. And I think you just look at the way they've spoken about Bo Horvat, right? When they've spoken publicly about the situation, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. you think about all of the boxes he checks for this team. You think about the emphasis that they want to put on culture, on character, on playing the right way, on all of those things. It's just, there's too many reasons for both sides to want to do it, for it not to happen. I think it's the kind of thing that if you get it done early, when he's, almost immediately when he's eligible, it sends a really powerful message to your fans, to the rest of your team as well, about what you're prioritizing. I like it a lot. I think that's uh, I think that's a very good one. The money eyes emoji, and that could that could also apply to the one that I'm about to lay out here. Ready? I want the chef man, the chef guy holding a little uh, wooden spoon. Yeah. Okay, that's the emoji for the Brock Besser qualifying offer extension uh, or situation. Okay. Right? And here's why: there's a ton of different ingredients, right, that are going into this particular stew. Right, a, a variety of different deadlines. It's a complicated one to manage. The most likely outcome, even though I think there's some understanding, some some mild preference on both sides to cooperate and find a compromise deal, the most likely overall outcome remains Brock Besser at one year times $7.5 million, right? But that's because the Canucks have to tender him a one-year deal worth seven point five to keep his rights. Arbitration soars the relationship, and if you tender Brock Besser a $7.5 million one-year offer, he's likely to accept it. That's a really good offer. That's a lot of money. And so I've picked the chef emoji because this is... Patrick <laughs> <laughs> Alvin, the Swedish chef. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about it more, more from Rutherford's angle because Alvin too, but Alvin's setting direction, but you bring in a guy like Rutherford to make deals. You, you bring in a guy like Rutherford because he can sell vision, because he can navigate this type of situation. This is a guy who's seen it all, done it all. Right, I mean, this is a guy who offered sheeted Sergey Fedorov. Yep, twenty five years ago. I mean, there there's been all sorts of weird things. That's that, such a good way to sum it up. You know, like Tell, describe Jim Rutherford in a sense. He offered sheeted Sergey Fedorov <laughs> a six year <laughs> offer. So good. You know, like he he had a six year offer sheet 
that Fedorov signed in 1998. Like, this is a guy who's been through some stuff, okay? And you bring in Rutherford to let him cook and solve these types of problems. So I've picked the Bork, Bork, Bork chef emoji <laughs> for the Brock Besser QO situation. See, run it again. <laughs> oh, that is very good. So good. See, the one I was going to go with for the uh, the Brock Besser one, the emoji I was going to pick, is just that, like, there's so many different variations of smiling emojis, right? Like, some are really, wow, like, you're so over-the-top happy, and there's the hard eyes and the star eyes and all of that. I was just going to go for, like, the, the, the most, the smallest one that's, or, like, the least enthusiastic one that's still a smile. You know what I mean? So you're not upset. But you're not, like, over the moon either. It's just, like, a small smile. It's Super like, fair. There, there will be a, a reasonable deal reached that both sides can feel pretty all right about. You're not going to say, oh, my gosh, can you? They got Brock Besser on that deal. That's amazing. But you're going to be like, okay, all right. Yeah, I can live with that. That works for me. I think that's where we're headed here. A, a, a reasonable short, short-term deal. But, like, you know, three years is what I'm talking about when I say short-term I think uh, you're deal right. between the two I think teams. a two- or three-year deal is the sweet spot, but I still think you should, if you were handicapping it, I would still put that at, like, plus 150 and put the idea of a, of a Besser one-year times $7.5 million settlement as, like, my, as the betting favorite. Minus, you know, not 200, but minus 150. Like, that's that, for me, is sort of how I'd handicap it at this juncture. Yeah, I mean, and as you point out, like a higher salary is going to be on the table, so that that's always going to be that's always going to be lurking in the background. Right? At the very least, it needs to be recognized as the most likely outcome, just based on the fundamentals of that situation. So I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to pivot to the blue line. We've kind of ca- gone through the big three forwards: Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, JT Miller, as well. I'm going to first just tackle kind of the blue line as a whole, and I'm going to do the uh, the kind of nerdy glasses face. Emoji, because I think this is where you know Jim Rutherford has invested in the front office. Part of that has been investing in the analytics department, not just investing in terms of you know bringing in a new hire in Rachel Dory, but trying to integrate the analytics department uh, more fully into the decision making process of the front office. And the blue line is such a difficult situation. You know, we've talked about that a lot on this show that I think that's where you really look, you need to be creative and think outside the box everywhere on the roster, no matter what team you are, especially when you're in the Canuck situation, but specifically on the blue line, that's where you really need to come up with some creative solutions. So I'm going to predict that there's going to be maybe one, maybe two signings acquisitions where when you hear the name, you're kind of scratching your head. You're like, wait, hold on. Who, who is that? I, I vaguely remember that guy. And then you start to dig into it, and there's some some very interesting underlying statistical profile uh, to to justify or or kind of make sense of the acquisition. I'm going to say that on the blue line is where the uh, the big brains in the Canucks front office are going to make their presence felt this summer. I like that a lot. All right, I gotta go. We have to use some of the more famous emojis here to make this segment work. All right. So you know, I'm going to present this. In a way that gets me into zero trouble. <laughs> I'm excited. Good luck. I'm excited. Good luck to me. Okay, ready? The Canucks want to have their cake and eat it too this offseason. They want to look to the future but also remain competitive. Yep. And I could easily just pick cake but, and play it safe and, and not worry about it, but that's not how I'm going to do it. So I'm going to pick the peach emoji. Okay? I love it. Okay. For the idea that the Canucks could deal players off the roster now rather than extend them. But then turn around 
having netted significant futures for some of those players, and bid on guys like Anilia Mikhaev or a guy like an Andrew Kopp or a guy like a Philip Forsberg in free agency. So you net the significant futures for your guy, but still replace them with a really, really good player. Have your cake eat it too, or... Because I picked the peach emoji, you find a backdoor solution. Oh wow! To All your right. issue. All right, I picked that. That's mine. There, there we go. Woo! All right. Well, if we're getting into the, uh, as you said, <laughs> the the more uh, famous or more infamous emojis, this one did come in unsigned. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, it says Tyler Myers contract getting off the books, and then it is the eggplant emoji. <laughs> following that so we'll i just well i have one for that too that's also right, one of the more famous right. emojis a little cleaner here um i picked the salsa dancer the sure. famous salsa dancer yep, i know what you mean um for carving out additional cap flexibility on the trade market because you need a dance partner you need a dance partner to do it she's dancing alone can't carve out flat cap flexibility like that you need two salsa dancer emojis to to carve out cap flexibility, so I picked that. I've got I've got one more I want to get to because right. I think it's really it, good. It is up. It is up here. All right, I've got the ice cream emoji, the one in a bowl with the little like sure. pieces of sure, cinnamon sure, sure. sticking out, like a Sunday kind of, like a Sunday. Yeah. yeah, and I've I've I put it for Bruce Boudreau remaining in Vancouver. I know this seems settled, and we all know that Bruce Boudreau likes ice cream, loves Hagen Uh If you watch twenty four seven, you'll remember him parading around the mall at like eleven a.m. looking for ice cream with his kids. It was a beautiful segment. It's cool. Ice cream is cool. Bruce Boudreaux is cool. Everyone wants it. Everyone, everyone likes it, it. Everyone likes it. No one is ever like, ice cream, no. The, ulti- the ultimate crowd pleaser. Except for me when I'm chasing Artemi Panarin out of Mom town. Does. Woo! <laughs> for everybody. Let's Let go. Let's some ice cream. <laughs> so, so it's like that, but, but here's the question about Boudreaux returning, because there is still some scrutiny internally, obviously, on... How, how this team played under his leadership, right? How the organization functioned. Uh, I think there's going to be a keen eye for management on the assembly of the coaching staff, right? I think there's a sense that, you know, while Boudreaux inherited uh, uh, largely the group of coaches that he worked with, that there was too much individualism on the coaching staff, that there wasn't enough chemistry within the group. And yet they haven't really made significant changes. Boudreaux's lost Scott Walker, but he hasn't brought in his own guy. I think there's going to be a lot of internal focus on how Boudreaux incorporates the organization itself into how the team plays. I think there's, you know, and they've said it. We want to, we want to work together on some of these things. We, if Bruce comes back, we want to work together on on structure, on mm-hmm. how we play. Mm-hmm. So the ice cream emoji isn't just in reference to Boudreaux's fondness for it, a fondness that we all share, despite. Mr. Booth's lies about me, <laughs> but also reflects the fact that while everyone likes it, will the decision hold up under the heat this Ooh, season? Oh, see, I thought you were going to go for like an empty calories pun there. There's nothing or empty about ice cream. Those calories are always <laughs> worth it. I had they a, count. They're real. I had um, I had a uh, scoop of cookies and cream ice cream, which, by the way, for me, just, again, despite Mr. Booth's lies, I always feel like I have to. R- insist on my love for ice cream now i had a scoop of cookies and cream ice cream in a canadian's hat 
at Nat Bailey the oh, other day. Oh, fantastic. I, I love yes, it. Fantastic. There's nothing that fills me with childlike little, whimsy. Yeah, no, no, no. As a much little. as eating it out of a disposable baseball hat. So good. I don't so know good. why, but it, I, um, my favorite thing. We've got some good ones coming in here. Uh, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one, unsigned, says, uh, the Canucks will offer sheet Matthew Kachuk, and that equals the the grinning devil face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Emoji. I mean, I mean, that's a take. That is a good one. I mean, yeah. we, if we want to get spicy and just get some uh, some wild ideas out there. Well, I, we could use the spice emoji. And Yeah, we could. But I also like it because, you know, the grinning devil face, you're clearly indicating, look, we know we're not going to get him. We're just going to try to inflict maximum pain on our rival. And I will say, if you're looking for a dance partner, as you said, to kind of sign a really uh, difficult offer sheet, like, I don't think Matthew Kachuk would have any compunction about doing that. We know how the Kachuk family operates uh, when it comes to contract extensions. This one unsigned as well, a little bit more involved. They say, uh, trade JT Miller and Tyler Myers to Pittsburgh for Evan Rodriguez, John Marino, and the exclusive rights to negotiate with Evgeny Malkin, then sign Malkin, and then sign Kuzmenko. And they've got the uh, the party hat celebration emoji to indicate how happy they would be with that deal. Look, man, if Evgeny Malkin ends up here in Vancouver, I know it's been kind of a controversial idea, right, because of the potential money uh, associated, but... Yeah, if you add a player of Evgeny Malkin's caliber and stature to your team in any summer, you're you're doing the celebration emoji for sure. There's no doubt uh, about that one for me. We also have this one uh, says uh, Drance the the peach emoji reference was fire the, the fire emoji. The fire so emoji. We're, Thank we're you. getting captioned even excellent with our uh, emoji our, our references. Our own our own efforts are being um, okay. So here's I got another one. for All you. right, hit it, hit me. I've picked the penny emoji. You know the little blue penny. It's a little baby blue penny. It's got a navy blue stripe across. Oh it. yeah 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 sure it's a little, sure. It's like a penny that you wear, um, like you in know, PE class. In PE class, yeah. or or yeah, exactly. And the reason I picked that, I picked that for Evgeny Kuzmenko's decision. And the reason I picked it for is Andre Kuzmenko. Andre Kuzmenko. Excuse yep. me, Andre Kuzmenko. The reason I picked it for Andre Kuzmenko's decision is that this is an all-out race, right? At this point, rumblings I'm hearing. And and I'm I've been working to confirm this on the Canucks side and haven't quite got there. But rumblings I'm hearing from the industry is that now that more and more teams are out, mm-hmm. now that more and more teams' focus is widening, that a few finalists are being circled back for second interviews over the course of this week, this weekend, maybe into next week. Uh, I'm not sure if the Canucks are among them. Uh, I wasn't able to work through that this week. I'll I'll, I'll see if I have an update for everyone on Monday. But we're reaching decision time on Kuzmenko's call here. And for me, that's an all-out race, and it's the type of race that the Canucks so desperately need to win. Like, the ability to bring in a guy for nothing, no acquisition cost, on an ELC, who the organization sees as a guy who can contribute in the top nine and on the power play, like, that's the type of infusion of talent, that's the type of of out-of-nowhere win that this asset poor club is just so thirsty for and so this is an all-out race it's an all-out race that's coming to a head we're into the final turn over the course of the next week and alvin and rutherford and company need to need to come out ahead by a nose they need to lean forward they need to dig deep they need to win this race one way or another 
we're get we're getting down to brass tacks. You know the um, I, I don't even know what it's called. It's like the snorting emoji, I guess, where you're they're like blowing air out of the nose, and it's like you often see it. Sure, yeah. When people are talking about like on NBA Twitter, you see it a lot. You know, yeah. like Steph Curry's built different, and then that emoji. Yeah. To me, signing Andre Kuzmenko would be like Jim Rutherford's built different, and then the snorting emoji. You know what I mean? It's like totally. flex, flex on him, Jim. Use that experience. Use that. Uh, Use all of that uh, that reputation and that weight that you've built up. So that that would be the emoji I would uh, choose if the Canucks are able to land Andre Kuzmenko this offseason. Uh, that was a ton of fun. We've got people texting in about ice cream flavors now and eating them out of baseball helmets and <laughs> all, all sorts of different emojis just flooding the inbox that I, you know, it's the kind of thing where you have to kind of make sure you're not stepping on a landmine when you read some of these <laughs> You got to give him a a quick read first. I'm pretty sure I did. So, (laughs) (laughs) anyways, thank you to everyone uh, who well quickly, just really quickly before we go. You got a prediction for tonight at Madison Square Garden? I mean, I think the Lightning are going to battle back here. I do. I think the I'm increasingly of the belief that the Lightning are going to win the cup. The comparison that I'm kind of my um, my, my, like my resolve on this is is um, firming up as I watch more and more. Uh, Avs Oilers, as I watch more and more um, of the playoffs, I've, I've become increasingly convinced that the Lightning are just the the team that no one can beat. I'm just thinking back to the Battle of Alberta game one, and then how different the rest of the series was from that, or in terms of Edmonton losing in game one and then winning four yeah, straight. all the time. Yeah. Well, and and it's, it's, the- why, it's why I'm not leaving Edmonton for dead yet, right? Like, we saw Colorado go up 2 nothing against Vegas and just, like, completely throttled them, like... You, you know, we saw uh, the Celtics score 41 points in the fourth quarter against the Golden State Warriors. And I'm watching that going, yeah, but they're not going to do that again. They're not going to hit nine of 11 threes in a quarter again, you know? So it's the same thing. Like, don't overreact to one game in, in the playoffs. Game-to-game momentum sometimes doesn't happen. I think the Lightning are going to roll in the Eastern Conference Finals. And you will be able to hear that game tonight on Sportsnet 650. The People Show is up next. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda. You are listening to the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.